This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. We're so happy to bring you this wonderful conversation between scientists, teachers, musicians, activists, and brewers around the theme of what water wants to be. This dynamic panel discussion was presented by the City of Marquette Arts and Culture Center, Superior Watershed Partnership, and Ordock Brewing Company as part of Marquette's 7th Annual Art Week and recorded it in front of a live audience at the Ordock on June 22, 2022. The panelists include Jake Shea of Ordock Brewing Company, John Hyland of Trout Unlimited, Tyler Penrod of Superior Watershed Partnership, Dr. Sarah Middlefelt of Northern Michigan University, and our own Seth Bernard of Title Track and the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. We hope you enjoy this conversation as these experts from a diversity of fields discuss their own unique relationship with water, the power of collaboration, how to seek local solutions for global challenges, the healing and connecting possibilities of art, and much, much more. The panel is moderated by Dr. Jess Thompson of Northern Michigan University. Good evening. We're going to get started as our panelists take to the stage. Real quick, I am Jess Thompson. I'm a professor in the College of Business. My specialty is sustainable business and environmental conflict resolution. And I'm really excited that the ORDOC invited me today to moderate this special session for Art Week, What Water Wants to Be, as we really celebrate our most precious and beloved resource, water, art, and beer. And we get to do it in this beautiful space together. And we have an illustrious panel, and I'm going to just briefly introduce them, and then they're going to take some time to introduce themselves and talk about the work that they and their organizations do. And then we're going to open it up to some questions and conversation. So right off the bat, um, here in the first chair is Jake Shea, who is the brew master. Did they give you that title? You're the head brewer, and you're also a former biological tech for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Next to Jake is John Hyland, who is from the Michigan Trout Unlimited, Fred Wara, chapter president, Tyler Penrod, um, NMU alum, and he is the Superior Watershed Partnership Great Lakes Climate Corps Program Manager. He also is 
critical to the Market Climate Adaptation Task Force and really keeps them on task. And next to Tyler is Dr. Sarah Middlefelt, a professor in the Earth Environment and Geographical Sciences Department at Northern Michigan University and my best friend. So mm. full disclosure there. And Seth Bernard, who is a talented musician. I'm sure that's what you're here for. The music starts right after this. Um, and Seth also is the founder for the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. And so I'm excited to have this very diverse group of panelists. Um, we're going to start with Jake. And because we're here at the Ordoc, which I want to give a big shout out. They are the 2020. Is that how we say this year? 2020? Two. It's 2022, guys. I just haven't been to a lot of public events in the past two years. Uh, 2022, good for Michigan, good for the Environment Award winner. So good for Michigan, yes, is a very big honor for the Ordoc. I'm so proud of them and the work that they do. So we're going to kick it right to Jake. And just go ahead and introduce yourselves and spend a few minutes telling us about the work that you do. And, um, yeah. Yeah, Jake Shea, uh, as you know now, uh, grew up in Alpena, uh, uh, fishing Lake Huron streams, trout fishing, just always immersed in the outdoors and uh, always around the water and eventually uh, making beer and did a lot of stream restoration work in Montmorency County, uh, then school at NMU, biology, ecology, um, doing a lot of stream work here and uh, uh, hatchery work. So a lot led to fish stuff, uh, all pertaining with water and fisheries uh, until I broke the cycle and started making ethanol, <laughs> uh, which I enjoy. So uh, with that, I guess I had a nice quote that I kind of found in one of my little brewing water chemistry books that I just start off with. Uh, Lamash is a buffered environment where water chemistry and not chemistry Hopefully combined to create highly favorable conditions for sacrification and yield. And, and that just directly, uh, pertains to what I do every morning, tasting water, uh, checking pH, tape, um, getting the mash set perfectly, uh, for downstream events, uh, from hop, um, utilization to, uh, fermentation. And then we get our delicious, uh, beverages. Thanks. Cheers. And now I want to introduce John Hyland. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name, like you said, is John Hyland. I have the privilege of being the president of the Fred War Chapter, Trout Unlimited. Um, we have the privilege of covering about two-thirds of the UP as far as Trout Unlimited is concerned. So we cover from the west side of Marquette County all the way down to Lake Michigan over to Drummond Island. And we get involved in all kinds of different projects. I think a lot of people mistakenly think that Trout Unlimited is a fishing organization, which is absolutely not true. Um, just happens that, of course, a lot of people that love water and love fish also fish. So we are actually, first and foremost, uh, a cold water fisheries conservation organization. That's what we do. And, of course, you absolutely cannot separate fish from water. So water conservation really is fish conservation, and fish conservation can't happen without water conservation. So that's one of the things we've found over time is the best way to help fish is to work on the environment that they live in. Of course, that's nothing new, right? We've learned that in a lot of different areas where in order to help the animals, the fish, whatever, you need to work on the environment that they live in and provide the things they need to live. 
So that's what we do. We do a lot of a uh, lot of projects on streams, on lakes, uh, a lot of education and outreach. Again, across a good share of the UP, uh, we get involved in salmon in the classroom with the DNR. We have nine schools that this past year that were involved in salmon in the classroom. We've got at least two, possibly three, new schools coming on uh, for this coming school year, uh, where the the students. Uh, get the eggs from the DNR. We supply all the support, the equipment, the tanks, everything. And uh, they work it into their curriculum to learn about, you know, raising the fish and taking care of the fish and the water chemistry and all that kind of stuff. And then we assist them in the spring releasing the fish, their salmon that they raise. And we re- um, assist them in the spring, then go to release the fish in one of the local rivers. So again, just one of the, you know, one of the many, many outreach things we do get involved in a lot of tree planting, in-stream restoration work, stream sampling, um, you name it. Basically, anything that involves, you know, keeping the health of our water and protecting the health of our, our cold water, we get involved in. So we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things a little bit later, but just as a brief introduction, that's who I am and that's who we are. So. And now Tyler Penrod. All right. Yeah. So my name is Tyler Penrod and I work for the Superior Watershed Partnership as the Great Lakes Climate Corps Program Manager. Um, But more broadly, the Superior Watershed Partnership, I always say, has three uh, primary programs. Uh, The first is to assist low-income households with energy efficiency and renewable energy sources. So we have a crew that actually goes in to make their homes more energy efficient, to reduce their bills, reduce their carbon footprint, and for some clients, actually give them solar. Um, So we work with thousands of clients across the entire Upper Peninsula to provide that service. Um, We also are a land conservancy. Um, So we have, at the moment, three uh, community forests, one on Lake Michigan, one on Lake Huron, and one on Lake Superior. Uh, We also manage about a dozen conservation easements where we don't actually own the land, but we protect it in perpetuity or forever. Um, And then our other program, which I help manage, is our Great Lakes Climate Corps. Uh, This season, we are employing uh, nearly 40 seasonal staff, kind of college age or recent graduates for the most part. Um, to give them experience working in conservation, but also to do really meaningful hands-on work across all 15 counties of the Upper Peninsula. Um, our organization partners with several different federal agencies, state agencies, all five tribes in the Upper Peninsula, and then a number of different local units of government and other nonprofits like us. So. We try to do as much work as we can by partnering with others. And I think that's really where our strength comes from. And Dr. Sarah Middlefett. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Um, before I dive into who I am and what I do, I just want to thank um, Tina and the Arts and Culture Center here at Marquette um, for all the amazing art week activities and the theme of water. So mm-hmm. thank you, Tina. Thank you, Andrea and Chris and Kelly, all the people at the ORDOC for helping to facilitate this conversation. Um, really cool to have this sort of blending of art and science and ideas and organizations um, that are working on the ground up in our community. So um, I just want to say that. And, and again, this theme of water is so neat. And the question I read in the Mining Journal about asking people as they're participating in Art Week, um, thinking about your relationship with water. And uh, as I was thinking about this talk, I, I thought about the importance of water in my life and my story here in Marquette. And 
Uh, water literally brought me to Marquette, Michigan. I came here, my first time in Marquette, Michigan was by canoe. Um, I just had a, ran into Carl and had a nice memory um, of a young man I met in the year 2000. I had just graduated college 22 years ago. And for my senior thesis as an undergrad, I, I was studying things that communities around the Great Lakes were doing to prepare for the next millennium. What were communities around the South Shore of Lake Superior doing to get ready for the inevitable changes that are coming? So this was me when I was 20 years old, and um, we were, I went with my dad, and we canoed from Duluth, Minnesota to New York City. And um, yeah, it was an, an adventure, and uh, you know, I, it kind of feels like a lifetime ago, and I don't talk about this story much, but it is um, it was hugely transformative and, and not just because, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up still. And I was like riding in a canoe with my dad all summer, but it was these stories of these amazing things that people like Carl Lindquist and his fledgling superior watershed partnership, the organization had just started in 1999. So I think it was like only a year old. And I actually just talked to Carl. I was like, did you come on the rowboat and meet us in the middle of the lake? And Carl confirmed that that was an actual true memory that Carl <laughs> wrote out. I uh, met me and my dad there. I think we maybe, I don't know, I was only 20, so I don't think we had drinks or anything, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, told us about this amazing work that his organization was starting to do. And um, uh, it was very inspiring. And so we, we met with Carl. We met with people like that all across the Great Lakes, all the way to New York. Um, and I still had no idea what I wanted to be, but, or, you know, when I grew up, but it was very formative to hear about just the, um, the commitment and the, 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 the grounding that water provides for people for creativity, like not just, you know, great environmental organizations doing work to protect the source of life, you know, but also uh, as inspiration for the arts and creative. So we had all these cool stories and it just was very inspired. And so fast forward 22 years later, here I am back in Mar Marquette and I, I did uh, drive here today because now I'm a mom and I had to pick up from dance camp and <laughs> You know, do a lot of other things that happen in middle age. But um, but I think there is something about the the water that really is a draw for so many of us who live here. And I remember I was on a panel with um, my dear friend, April Lindela, who is a professor in the Center for Native American Studies. And I was talking about the history. Of, I'm an environmental historian, as it, as it says there. And I, so I studied the relationship of humans, um, how humans have related with the non-human world and how that has changed over time. And I was talking about, I focus on late 20th century environmental policy and laws that have, you know, been passed to protect our natural resources. And I was talking about natural resources, this and this. And April Lindell, I was talking about Lake Superior as a, the most important freshwater resource, you know. And she looks at me and I got schooled at a public panel. She said, Sarah, Lake Superior is not a resource. It is the source. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and so, you know, even though it does have economic value and all of this, um, it, it really is like so centering on, on so many levels for, for many of us who are fortunate to live by this lake. Um, so that's like, I guess, a snapshot. I, I have the best job in the world. I get to work with um, amazing students at Northern Michigan University who are equally pa share my passion for protecting um, our water, our land, our air for future generations. So I think I'll stop there. Okay. And to Seth Bernard. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back at the Ordoc. Great to be back in the UP. Um, I started the Clean Water Campaign uh, four years ago, and it is now a part of uh, a nonprofit called Title Track that I launched three years ago and am the co executive director of. Uh, Title Track engages creative process and creative practices to build uh, resilient social ecological systems that support clean water 
racial equity and youth empowerment. A lot of our work uh, kind of combines those three pillars of clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. And the Clean Water Campaign is a program that uses music and storytelling to uplift this groundswell of support for clean water issues in Michigan and beyond. And um, water feels like, you know, such an essential thing for us to be talking about, to be in relationship with, uh, to, to think about um, beyond it being a resource or, or this thing that is othered, uh, that is non-living and, and to really recognize it as the source of life and indeed something that is alive. And, uh, I just wanted to clarify real quick, sir, that, that you commuted from Duluth to New York. That's amazing. So I'm just lamenting on that for a second. I love to canoe, but that's, that's a lot of canoeing. <laughs> um, and what we do is we, we work on a podcast called State of Water, uh, and we're actually recording this to, to make it into a podcast episode. And um, we do a lot of interviews with people from all walks of life, you know, water being at the heart of our identities as human beings, as earthlings, and especially as residents of the Great Lakes Basin. Uh, everyone has a real personal relationship with water and, and stories to tell about that. And so when it comes to sort of building the movement, we try to make a really big uh, onboard, you know, to, to build big on-ramps for people to, to walk through. And so we've talked to all kinds of folks, um, veterans and executive directors and musicians and skateboarders and, and really help um, provide a platform for people to tell their own stories. Uh, I also serve on the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus through PolicyLink, which is this nationwide uh, caucus of environmental justice leaders, folks from the Great Lakes region, the East Coast, the West Coast, the Gulf Coast. And we're working on uh, shaping federal policy. And uh, some of the work that I'm most passionate about has to do with arts and culture and, um, you know, sort of narrative change around water and, um, and thinking in terms of how we can um, show up for young people and help to cultivate their relationship with water. I know for me, when I was really young, I went to a camp uh, that was all about water and that really helped empower me. And so we're starting something called the Water Protectors Training Camp this September uh, and hoping to build that program into something that touches kids all over the state. And uh, we use the butterfly model, um, which sort of gives four different areas where people could enter the movement as builders, people building new systems and new models, uh, reformers, people reforming existing systems and institutions, uh, healers, so that's where musicians and artists and dancers come in, and then resistors, people on the front lines are resisting, uh, you know, systems of harm and, uh, and putting, putting our voices and our bodies, uh, you know, in, in the way and raising awareness in the process. Um, so really glad to be here, excited to share music later, and really excited to learn from you all. Wow, what a panel we have. Like, what an exciting group of experts, artists, conservationists, scientists. I think one thing that um, comes to my mind as I hear about all the work and the projects that this diverse group is engaged in is, what are some of the challenges? If you can think of a story that you wanted to tell, a scientific result you wanted to share, a project that you needed more engagement on, could you share with this group how you confronted that challenge 
Or maybe can we help you troubleshoot if you're in the middle of it right now? So I'll just open it up to um, all of our panelists as you um, want to jump in without me calling on you okay. or I will call on you. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of the, you know, one of the challenges that, um, y that we have found is just trying to decide which projects to work on first. Because one of the things we've talked about a number of times is you look around the UP, especially when we talk about water, there are no lack of projects. You look at the number of rivers and streams and lakes and the three great lakes and it, there is no lack of projects. There's no lack of needs for sure. And one of the biggest challenges I think we run up against is just trying to balance that, that whole balancing act of, okay, which projects do you work on first and how do you come up with the funding to do that? And one of the, you know, one of the ways that, um, you know, that we've taken on for doing that is just what, uh, you know, what he was talking about as far as um, working with, you know, collaborating with and working with other folks like, you know, we have here, other organizations, individuals or whatever. Uh, we've accomplished a lot of projects that way where you get a bunch of different people, a bunch of different individuals together. And because uh, we did some tree planting last fall, we did a few different times. And we had probably 40 some people come out and we probably represented, I don't know, five or six different organizations plus a bunch of individuals to get those people out there. So. Yeah. So the power of collaboration mm. to solve some of these. Other panelists. I can yes. like kind of yeah. echo that and actually put a plug in for a project that Jess was a project um, principal investigator on that I got to work with Jess on the Coastline and People Project, which we have a lot of extra um, booklets that came out of this um, collaborative community kind of visioning session where we were able to bring in um, people from the city planning commission with the county planners and people from the state and tribes and um, we had just community represent representatives there and we had um, brought in some climate scientists from Michigan Tech and just put all these people in a room and talked about the past, present and future of our coastline. And um, it was just a really cool, just kind of echoing what John and Tyler were saying about it was, a, you know, one of the first time I had seen like all these disparate entities in our region coming together and really trying to create like, what do we want our coastline to look like Um you know, 20 years out. And um, so if you're interested, we have tons, please take, just brought a bunch of yeah. copies um, and the results of that. And really looking at, so, you know, first how, what has our coastline looked like in the past on the South shore of Lake Superior, um, you know, going back deep in time, what are our current challenges with climate change? What is, what are the likely scenarios that's going to happen to this region? And then getting community input on like, where do we want this to go? How are we going to adapt and become more resilient as a community? And just the, the collaborative conversations that were launched as part of that conversation have just been maybe more than the end product, which is a beautiful, glossy magazine, but even more than the, that, I think the best thing that came out of that was the relationships that were built as a result of um, people just sitting down in a room and sharing ideas and really trying to think about how can our coastal community become more resilient in the face of climate change. So I got to give big props out to, to my best friend, Jess Thompson, her amazing work of leading that project. It was really, really awesome. So half of the people in this room were there. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, it goes to the community on that one. Um, Jake? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like climate change is, is something we all deal with now. And we work with ingredients from all over the country or in across the pond even. Uh, so you can have a drought year with a crop year of barley and it changes the blade of glucan, uh, the chemistry of just the barley itself, and uh, that can change the the whole efficiency on your whole brew. So you might have to might have to change that uh, on the fly, or you know, as these crop years change, 
and like you say, we're at conferences and we're, we talk about terroir in the, in the beverage industry, um, as what that is, is the flavors that come from your ground and the water that you live in. Um, so like, uh, Michigan hops and well, they'll fighting climate change and figuring out how do we grow these hops and, uh, better and stronger and more flavorful and get all that, uh, respect properties. So. It's something we all collaborate on and we talk about and try to get these hurdles around climate change. So I guess that's all I got. Yeah, no, that's, that's real. That, and it does. What's exciting about climate change, I guess, is that it, and many of these issues is that we start to collaborate and work together in ways that we might not have otherwise see um, intuitively. In the spirit of Art Week, what role can art play? So we've talked uh, about conservation science and Seth really started to unfold all the ways that art is moving this message forward. Um, what are some other ways that you see art, conservation, and science as a collaboration, whether for climate change or water conservation issues? I would say um, the Superior Watershed Partnership has been engaging youth for decades now here locally in Marquette County, but across the Upper Peninsula. Um, and we found that that's the most effective time to try to share these messages with people and get them thinking about our environment, our climate, our water, the health of our environment um, is when they're young um, so that they have an entire lifetime to explore those ideas and find new resources and learn new things. But we can plant that seed, whether it's, whether it's at a tree planting event or planting some beach grass along our shore here in Marquette. Um, just different ways to get their minds thinking about water, climate, and environment um, makes a big impression that can carry through to their schooling, their education, their career, or just hobbies and passions and how they treat the places that they find valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would add too, just in, in terms of challenges, is one of our biggest challenges, I think, as a society is that we really need to shift our cultural values um, away from this system that sort of rewards exploitation of, of people and of planet. And art is such a great way uh, to sort of, you know, go right into the heart and to remind people of our shared humanity. And, um, and, and really, like the tools of, of creative practice involve transformation, involve imagination turning into the transformation of the world. And and um, we were talking at dinner about art and, and how, you know, we have to have a really expansive view of what art is. And when you grow a garden, when you plant a garden, that's also art. It's a creative process. And so when, when people of really of any age start to enter that process, um, magic happens and alchemy happens and we start to see possibilities where before there weren't possibilities. So it's a really important ingredient. I think there should be artists really at every level of leadership, uh, all the way up to the top. Yeah. Right on. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm teaching a summer class on environmental law and policy. And, um, my students this week read the clean, the clean water act, the statute that was passed in 1972. And I always like to remind them that this was a bipartisan law. The clean water act was passed by conservatives, Republicans, and Democrats. And Something has happened, right? Something has happened where our society has become so incredibly polarized. And I think that's where art can really maybe, I hope, have a, a little bit of, of a healing effect and um, 
leading us forward and trying to find our commonality and that common ground, that shared humanity that Seth was talking about. So I think there's like a kind of a, a political pragmatism that art can play. I love this. I agree wholeheartedly. And I could almost insert the word water where they're inserting art. That mm. water also serves us yeah. across these political divides, across these communities, across these cultural rifts. And um, so it's really exciting that we're here talking at the intersection of these forces. Um, we've got about 15 minutes, and I want to make sure if there's anyone in the audience who has a question for a particular panelist or for the group or something that you're kind of um, pondering as you or something you want to know more about. Yes, I see a hand over there. So, okay, so my question is, starting these amazing organizations that you guys all have are just like starting, um, how, where do you start? Like, it's, there's, it seems like there's so much, but what if that stands in the way of starting these monumental organizations? Like, how do you get started in to navigating any of this? Well, everything starts small. Yeah. I mean, Toronto Limited started back in 1959 as a group of people gathering at, a, at somebody's cabin along the Asabo River downstate. That's how Trot Unlimited started, and it now involves hundreds of thousands of people all over the country. So yeah, everything starts small. So, you know, you and a friend of yours can start something that eventually ends up who knows where. And that's the big thing. I think a lot of times you got to break things down because a lot of the a lot of the problems, the issues, the projects, whatever you want to call them that we're looking at, whether you're talking about water or anything else, they're yeah, a lot of times they're massive projects. But if you really look at it, most of these massive projects have lots of little pieces in them. And a lot of times the the, the thing is you just got to pick one of those little pieces you can start on. And in some ways, it may not even matter which piece you pick. The key is to get started. It's even like a home project, you know. How often have you had a big project? You got you to gotta do your spring cleaning. It's like, oh. And sometimes all it takes is you do one little thing. You clean out one little closet or whatever, and next thing you know, you start building that momentum. And I think that's really the key is start wherever you can start and build the momentum. I really like that. That's a good change of perspective mm -hmm. for it. I feel like that's what a lot of this is, is just perspective. Mm -hmm. Like if people can just shift a little bit of how they like define and redefine things, it can start becoming like cohesive and be like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And then moving on from there. Yep. Like what well, one other quick thought on it too. That's a lot, you know, we've talked a little about the collaboration and stuff like that. That's where a lot of that comes in too. Because you may look at a problem or I may look at a problem or a, a project or whatever. And there may be possibilities that I'm not seeing just because of my background, you know, where somebody else out there, somebody else may walk in and say, oh, yeah. We did something like that two years ago. Oh, yeah, we could just do this. And that's where a lot of the collaboration comes in, getting the different perspectives, the different backgrounds, things like that involved. Yeah. And, and that is and if you Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and also just to bounce off of that, too, if you're looking at starting something, to, to do a little research and see if anyone else is already doing it. And if they are, help them or sure. collaborate with them. Yeah. Yeah. Seth, you actually have a really interesting story about your organization, and I—I'm not a stalker, just mm -hmm. a fan. <laughs> um, yeah, can you just tell us how, um, you, how your organization ha came to fruition? Oh yeah. So part of our origin story is that we we um, picked up the torch of an existing nonprofit that was started by 
It was started um, 35 years ago yesterday by two of my mentors. And I had invited um, Sally Van Vleck to be on the board of directors to start a new nonprofit. Knowing that there were already an abundance of nonprofits, I had been working in collaboration with many of them for years. And then it turned out that they were ready to fold theirs right around the same time we were starting. And so we were able to um, take over their nonprofit, their 501c3 status without having to start a new one. So, you know, there's an example of sort of looking around at what's happening in the community. And, and that was a win-win for us. It saved us a huge amount of paperwork and money. And for them, it was a win in terms of their legacy continuing. Yeah, I just love this in the spirit of collaboration and the spirit of breaking big problems down into small manageable pieces and then passing the torch and empowering whether it's the next generation or the next idea and really building off the shoulders of giants instead of feeling like this is so overwhelming. Where do I start? So it actually makes me think, is there something you want to start? Well, should, well, should we find out well, what she well, wants well, to just start? Just real quick, one of the other things I want to add to that, yeah, you be, I've been surprised on all different levels how something that when you look at it, you think about it, it sounds like this huge undertaking. And when you finally, sometimes after years of wrestling with it, thinking about whatever, when you finally dive into it, you think, why didn't I do this five years ago? It's not that big a deal. It actually turns, a lot of times things turn out not to be as, as difficult as they sound or they look. Like, yeah. Do you want to come tell us into the microphone? We got we a room of people who know how to do this stuff. Just like, what if I do this thing? And then it's like, oh, what if I do that thing? It's like a lot of like random bits that like feel like it could be cohesive. Mm -hmm. Like I have, a, I have troubles trying to be like, oh, I want to work on like this little part of Presque. Like I think it'd be really interesting to like really dive into this area of Presque and like be like, how does... Oh, yeah, press style. Yeah. Um, and then um, be like, why did it erode this way? Like, why is it like this? Because, like, the geologic history of Marquette is just fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like, you drive through, uh, like, a time machine just going to Harvey. Like, it's crazy. And just diving deeper into that and then seeing how that drastic cutoff, like, really impacts how the different landforms all shape and everything and how, like, all, like, the different river systems and everything because I feel like East and West Marquette, or not Marquette, but the UP are like really different. And mm -hmm. it'd just be cool. Like, and, and then cave systems. Oh my God, don't even get me started in the caves up here. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I was like diving deeper into it. And a lot of like the soil profiles in caves and like the water systems and how that infiltrates into the caves and the groundwater isn't really documented. And I'm like, how do I start on this? Like, I would love to like do research on the caves in the UP, mm -hmm. but like, how? Okay. I don't know how to get started, but talk to Beth Grivner in the Marquette um, Regional History Archives. She is like knows everything in that archives, and she knows a lot about oh, God, research, yeah, existing research, those, like, scroller and... things. Like, oh yeah, like... they got the scrolly thing, microfiche. They got oh, that God. over there. Oh, yeah. oh like I got mm -hmm. the perfect outfit already planned out. I'm looking like, well, detective. <laughs> Boom. I'm gonna write that down. Yes, mm -hmm. we'll get you connected. Great. Who else has a problem we can solve? Yes, mm -hmm. right here. Yeah, I need you to come mm -hmm. to the mic though. I guess I don't have a problem we can solve, but maybe in the spirit of looking at things that have already been done and looking at groundwork that's already been laid, um, the Native community up here obviously has a relationship with this landscape that goes back an awfully long time. So I'm curious how are those things kind of informing your sorts of projects? 
are things like the treaty rights and the tribes are still in place. I can't remember who said you're partnered with the tribes up here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do those play a role? Because those are very like, there's a historical aspect to it. There's a current legal aspect to it. And there's also a cultural aspect to it that all sort of lays the groundwork for these sort of products, projects in kind of a way that seems like it could possibly be very integrative mm -hmm. and very well suited yeah. to the space. So just one quick comment about that. Yeah. We talk about, you know, being, you're being tied to, you're being tied more to, you know, the natural world and things like that. Really, when you stop and think about it, if we're going to be dead honest, the root of a lot of our problems is because a lot of society lost that connection. And that, you know, that's what's really driving a lot of our problems is we've, as a society overall, we've tended to lose those connections that were originally in place for pretty much everybody. At one point, most everybody, you know, had a connection, a, a pretty solid connection to the natural world. And most of us, or I'd say a good share of the people have lost that. And that's a big source, a lot of the problems. So yeah, that does come into play a lot. A lot of the outreach that we get involved in is trying to rebuild that and, you know, reconnecting with those people and getting them, you know, connected with the, you know, with the natural world and what's going on with it and helping them understand what goes on with it and building that passion. Because if you don't have a passion for something, you're really not going to get involved. You're not likely to get involved with things. I think, John, you mentioned earlier how it's important. You may be a jack of many trades, mm. but a master of none, um, mm. where you, you have an idea of a problem that needs to be solved, um, and you, you look for others who have that expertise. And so on many of our projects, whether they're happening on tribal land or not, we are consulting tribes to get lists of culturally relevant or significant plant species for our planting projects that are native to the area and that serve a medicinal or cultural purpose for the native peoples of that area. Um, so even looking at the Lakeshore Boulevard project here in Marquette, um, it's not on tribal land, it's city property, but it is the traditional homelands of the Anishinaabe. And for that project, when we were creating a plant list to restore a dune swale ecosystem to Lakeshore Boulevard and open up nearly a mile of shoreline that's been blocked by rubble to the public for the last several decades. Um, we went to the tribes and asked for a list of species that they think would be relevant and culturally significant to this area. Um, so that informs us working with and partnering with the city of Marquette to restore that ecosystem. So. Um, part of it is actually working on projects on tribal lands with their natural resources department, but part of it is also just consulting them because they were the stewards of this land before others were. Beautiful. Great. Wow. Any other really hard, good questions out there? Yes. Come on right up. I'm wondering what successes you've had in community involvement and how to, as uh, Seth was mentioning how to um, kind of change priorities and get more people into these projects that have such little engagement or as you're mentioning like we all need so much collaboration what have been some successes and some new ideas that you have for that one of the things that we focus on is when we look at a project um, trying to find some ways to have some very what I'll call low-key 
easy to get involved in portions of that project, at least. I mentioned tree planting, things like that. You know, most people would have no problem come out trying to help plant some trees, things like that. It's not a major project. It's not, you know, highly technical. Pretty much anybody can do that. So that's one of the things that we found is just trying to find some very good, you know, entry-level, easy ways to get people involved. Um, just to help them start to make that connection is an important first step. Yeah, I do a lot of like academic advising for students who are um, about to enter the workforce and, you know, wondering how can I get a job when the job description says I need two years prior experience? You know, I think that's a common thing students see and people interested in maybe changing career paths see that sometimes. And um, I guess my basic advice is just keep showing up. Like, you know, there's a lot of organizations like Superior Worship Partnership, they do volunteer days and, you know, um, just kind of showing up to things and really trying to find where it is exactly you want to plug in um, and keep just coming and coming. And, and um, yeah, it can be sometimes like exhausting and whatnot, but it, it's, yeah, I just say keep keep showing up and, mm -hmm. and keep um, putting an effort in. So I think a great extension of this question is it's about success. Like what um, can you, some of our other panelists, um, Jake, um, I'm looking at you. Um, can okay. is there? Yeah, um, is there um, a moment that you kind of reflect as a win? Like, oh, I did it! I did what I needed for water, or I did what I needed for my community, or I did what I needed for the future. Get, and and this is open to everybody. Is there a moment that you really you register as a win for your work? As I was brewing, it's yeah, it's looking at it's engaging in the the people that are around me every day, uh, that coming in in the tap room and uh, having fun and drinking and having, um, talking about the beer and, and like, how did you make that? How, you know, what are the, the you know, what are the ingredients and how does that play a role in, um, the collaborations that we, we've done, um, and, um, using different hops uh, from Michigan sources and stuff like that. Yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, it's the end of the day. It's a lot of work, but um, it's always a win. You know, when when you got that beer in the tank and fermentation comes to completion, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of small wins. There, I guess there's not a huge win for me as as a brewery, not like nationally recognized, um, but um, we're hoping to get there, you know. But it's a lot of small wins. It's every day. It could be the boiler, you fix the, you know, there's so many different systems in, in the work I do that um, there's a lot of small wins, I think. And you got to take those with stride and 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 be, and be proud of all those moments because uh, it's all, they're all big wins. Yeah, I'll so drink up. I'll share a story of one of our programs um, that just felt like a win every step of the way. It's called River Quest, and we launched it in Flint in 2019. And we partnered with uh, Girls Rock Flint. So there were all these young girls that were already doing a, like a school of rock type thing. And then Title Track came in and we brought in River Quests. And it started, it was a week-long program. And the first couple of days, all the kids went out on kayaks on the Flint River. And they were led by indigenous leaders. Uh, one of our board members, Leora Taggerson, who lives up here, Miskapwaganaque, um, was one of the indigenous leaders. So the kids are, are learning about the river and the natural world through an indigenous lens, repairing their relationship with the Flint River. And then they went back into a makerspace and worked with myself and a bunch of other musicians, arts educators, to create songs about their experience on the river. 
And by the end of the week, they performed their songs and formed bands and made merch and were seen by their community. And um, it was a it was a an experience that had a deep impact on every kid, every family. And and then those kids went and performed at another festival in Flint, the songs that they wrote, and they came up to Earthwork Harvest Gathering and performed. And so everyone that was a part of that was deeply affected by it. And it wasn't the same as sort of like winning a long campaign or passing legislation, but it felt like a win in that everyone involved believed in every aspect of it and it it impacted us deeply. And then some of these kids, you you never know what they're going to go on to do. Just like the kiddos here, shout out to the young people here. Thank you for listening. And I hope that I get to listen to you on the panel someday or, or follow your leadership someday. But, um, I think about that, you know, I, I speak to a lot of leaders and the democratic flow leader right now, Yusuf Rabi, when I interviewed him, the first thing he talked about was uh, he got to participate in an adopt a stream program in preschool. And that made him want to, you know, go on to make an impact. And, and, um, so you never know what, you know, what's going to happen, but I think, uh, fully invested in what you're doing without attachments to specific outcomes is, is the way that's worked for me. Wow. How cool is this? Yes. We've got one more question right here. I think a lot about, uh, the intersection of ecology and security, things along these lines. And I'm wondering as I'm watching what's going on in the U S Southwest or India, Pakistan, places like this, where water is a real scarcity, mm-hmm. especially relative to the kind of absurd abundance that we have here. Are any of you benchmarking what is happening in some of these other places, or are you perhaps reaching out and providing some form of leadership or other resources to folks in spots where there's a great deal more water stress than what we've got? I would say just because we have an absurd abundance Mm. of fresh water here and we are blessed to be at Lake Superior, which is um, the cleanest, freshest of the Great Lakes, I would say. Uh, And I think data would back that up, um, that it, it is at risk. We are looking ahead at climate models that show, um, that show that our area is going to receive significantly more precipitation, rain and snowfall um, over the next the coming decades, um, but not spread out across the entire year. These are going to be major storm events that cause a lot of erosion into streams that go out into Lake Superior. And looking back just at the Father's Day flood in the Keweenaw a few years ago, um, the harbor around Duluth and Keweenaw Bay itself was brown for well over a year afterwards because all that sediment was still settling down to the bottom. Um, and all these communities around Lake Superior get their, most of them get their drinking water from Lake Superior. So in terms of security, um, some of the plantings that we do in more urban settings Um, You may wonder why we're not reforesting um, sections of um, uh, more remote lands, but putting trees in communities helps filter that groundwater as it comes in, provides shade in those communities, um, prevents erosion during those storm events. Um, So we are considering security of communities when we are doing these plantings and different ecological work 
across the UP? I'll just say, I think uh, I've lived abroad and traveled a lot. And I, I just personally feel like where I find um, I can be most effective is uh, my students and I work on local solutions or regional solutions to global environmental challenges, right? So we understand these global stresses that you mentioned, which are um, major. But, you know, that's just a personal thing. I have friends who work for the UN and are into that. But like to me, like being kind of grounded locally is, is a very satisfying um, calling, and um, I, but to your point, which was interesting, there's a book, I, want, I think it was like The World Without Us or something that was published. And they were talking about this question of like, is water going to be the new oil? That new wars are going to be fought over water. And the response was, after like interviewing all these people and doing all this research, the author was concluded that no, that water is too precious to become fought over. That, the con- that it actually, that was an interesting conclusion because it's something that I hear a lot of political scientists talking about, like, you know, water conflicts leading to military conflict. But the, this book was pretty optimistic in the sense that, no, people will find a way because it's just so central to life that it, it will have an opposite effect. So I thought that was kind of encouraging. It is the source. The source. Yes. What a wonderful group of experts we've got to listen to tonight. The power of collaboration, the power of starting small, the power of place, and the power of art to help us understand water in our community. Thank you to our panelists. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, This campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment.